Donald Trump is actually a lizard person. Welcome everyone to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host Katie, and today we are talking about Sandy Hook. Now, where did you get your research for this one, Katie? The book was Newtown by Matthew Lysak. And uh, let's just uh, remind everyone where this one's actually located. This is in Newtown, Connecticut. So this is a pretty heavy episode this week. We're going to try to get through the information, get everyone filled in on the order of events, and then move on to some of the bullshit that surrounds the rest of the story. Yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about Alex Jones, a little bit about the conspiracies surrounding Sandy Hook, uh, the effect it had on the survivors and uh, the families and so forth. I mean. It's not as dark as the actual episode, so I'm hoping at the end we have a little bit of something to, you know, clear your palate a little bit, because this is so fucking depressing. Try to bring a little levity to the situation. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Katie, why don't you kick us off? Adam Lanza's parents, Nancy and Peter, met in 1978 and were married two years later. Their first child, Ryan, was born in 1988, followed by Adam on April 22, 1992. Both children did not have much of a relationship with their father, who would often leave for work before they woke for school and arrive home after they'd gone to bed. So he was born four days before April 26, 1992. You know, there's a misprint on one of the albums where that is actually mistitled, and it says April 22nd. Ooh, conspiracy theory? Possibly. Nancy was left to parent both children alone and noticed something in Adam's behavior that led her to take him to a pediatrician where he was diagnosed with what was known then as Asperger's disorder. Do we know what behavior she noticed in him that like caused her the concern? I'm not sure. It didn't specify, but it's usually something developmentally. They're not reaching milestones at the appropriate time. So I'm sure he was delayed behind Ryan and it just concerned her enough to take him to the doctor. Oh, uh, okay. Asperger's is now lumped into the category of autism spectrum disorder, which we'll refer to as ASD. It's considered high-functioning autism and is characterized by a lack of social skills and eye contact, an inability to feel empathy or understand the emotions of others, and distinct obsessions over specific things they find interesting. Being a spectrum, autism presents in different ways in every single person, so some may exhibit symptoms others do not. In Adam's case, he experienced the symptoms listed, which worsened over his life. This doesn't really lead into a mass shooting. This is just you giving information on him. We're not saying that his Asperger's actually had anything to do with the deaths coming up, but yeah. it somehow played a factor in his life. So we're just going to go over it that way, right? Basically, okay, yeah. Cool. Most, most, if not all, people on the spectrum are nonviolent. Is it more com- or is it yeah? Is it more common for their symptoms to worsen, or is it just on a case by case basis? Case by case, normally. Once they present, that's pretty steady throughout their life. But in his case, it severely worsened so much so that he should have been re-diagnosed, I think, but he now, was not. Now, did she ever take him to get any special treatment or anything like that for this? She took him anywhere and everywhere she could, but being in early 90s and early 2000s, there wasn't really okay. a whole lot. We weren't as educated as we are now. On top of ASD, Adam also suffered from sensory processing disorder, which is caused by the brain basically mixing up the correct response to different sensory input. SPD is much more common in those on the autism spectrum and usually results in inappropriate responses to things like touch and sound. In Adam's case, he avoided any touch, even from his mother, bright lights, and loud noises. This obviously affected his ability to attend school. He would often fly into major fits every day before leaving. More often than not, Nancy would allow him to stay home. 
That doesn't sound like the correct response to that to me. I mean, it depends at a certain point. I don't, especially as your kid gets bigger, those fits probably end up being something that is really hard to handle. And you don't want to pass it off onto a teacher or anything like that. The Lanzas had moved to Newtown, Connecticut in 1998 after Nancy learned of Sandy Hook Elementary and its innovation in teaching special needs students. He did well his first year, but his behavior problems began in the first grade. Nancy and Peter's marriage began to dissolve in 2001 when she asked him to move out for the first time. They continued off and on until December of 2008 when Nancy officially filed for divorce, stating the marriage was irretrievably broken. So over those seven years, did Peter move in and out of the house multiple times? A couple times, I think it was like two or three. So not the most steady situation for the kids either. It was around this time that Adam began to isolate himself, and his relationship with his brother Ryan began to fall apart. As the stress in the household grew, Adam began acting out more and more, often experiencing states of what could be described as psychosis. His peers took notice to his inability to make friends or even speak to anyone around him, and according to Nancy, he began to be bullied as he approached middle school. Probably bullied for just that, that he was, you know, unable to talk to people and whatnot. She coddled him? She was a helicopter parent, basically? what you would refer to it as, so I don't, she's obviously not here to back herself up, but I don't know if he was as treated treated as severely as she says he was. I think a lot of this was her pointing out things that weren't actually happening and him not being able to say yes or no. That does happen to me on a day-to-day basis. So she was overplaying it, or? Possibly. Although he did okay in grade school, middle school was extremely hard on Adam. Rather than staying in one classroom all day, he had to change rooms for every class, which was not easy with his sensory processing disorder. His outbursts became more and more frequent and more violent. In 2005, Nancy moved him to a Catholic school, upset Newtown Middle wasn't doing enough for Adam. So at this point, he's already done attending Sandy Hook? Mm-hmm. So he just, it's a younger, it's for when you're younger. It's elementary, right? Elementary, yeah. Five, okay. Fifth grade and under. Not long after starting at the new school, a teacher found drawings he'd created, all of people dead or dying in violent ways. Eight weeks after starting the new school, Nancy pulled Adam out and kept him home. She was able to find him an aide at Newtown High School and enrolled him, and he did surprisingly well considering his past experiences. He found a mentor in one of the adults that ran the tech club, which he excelled in. His mentor later went on to say, quote, He fit the profile that suggested future problems, so we all kept an eye on him, right down to the custodians. Now, what do we know what those future problems are? Like, like just what? No, not what the future problems are, but what's the profile? I was going to say, yeah, Ronnie shut up a school. (laughs) Yeah. So, what are what is the the criteria to meet needing to be watched, or that you may possibly have a psychotic episode and do something terrible? I don't think there is a specific criteria. I mean... The drawings, maybe? The drawings, yeah. Um, I mean, I used to draw little weird things. Like, when I was bored and sustained silent reading for 15 minutes, I would draw little flip books in the corner of a book of a dude hanging from a... Like a stick figure? Yeah, like a stick figure with a penis hanging from a jungle gym, getting hit with a bat and stuff. But not like your teacher cut open in pieces on the ground. Not especially, no. I think you can uh, tell a lot. About a young child based on their drawings. So that would have been the first thing. I don't know. I I think... I drew boobs a lot. Boobs? I mean, in Superbad, Jonah Hill drew dicks. But that's not dead bodies. Guess you're right. I think there was something more that they knew, obviously, than we do. That made them want to keep their eye on him. He also had a babysitter that came out after the shooting and said that Nancy specifically told him to never 
take his eyes off of Adam when he was babysitting, like, don't even go to the bathroom. Cannot turn your back on this kid. That's scary. So it's, there was something there. Out, you'll come out to a butcher knife. So basically, literally everyone in the school already knew that there was some inevitable breakdown on its way. More than likely, yes. In an attempt to bond with her son and get him out of the house, Nancy introduced him to her lifelong hobby, guns. He shot a Ruger 1022 for the first time at the age of four and took interest right away. They'd often go out with Adam's first and only friend during his early years and shoot. Throughout his life, she would purchase him guns, including rifles and pistols. After the 10th grade, Adam's fascination with target shooting grew. 2010 and 2011, Nancy purchased him a Bushmaster XM15 and a Sig Sauer 9mm. He also owned a BB gun, which he enjoyed shooting at targets he had set up in his basement. I don't want to disparage his mother's attempt to find common ground with her son, but I think almost any other hobby would have been more fitting to his specific personality traits, maybe. Yeah, fucking do some puzzles with the kid. Yeah, I just don't think that maybe you arm to the teeth someone who uh, already has shown signs that they might be unstable. So she bought him a fucking handgun. Well, the Bushmaster and... is a, basically an AR. Yeah, yeah. it's an AR style, but the SIG isn't. SIG 9mm no. is a fucking handgun. Yeah, I think I understand trying to bond with your child, but she put the gun safe in his room and gave him the code to it and bought him a bunch of knives, too. Sounds like she so... was just trying to, to make him like her. It might have been the only thing that they really had in common that they could meet in the middle on. Like, she enjoyed it, and then she saw that he really enjoyed it, so she wanted to feed that saying, oh, this is something we do together. This is you and you're my thing. He like, was four. Yeah, I know. That's could, a little strange. You could be like, hey, you want a pony? Actually, my little brother shot his first twenty two at four. So did I, but... So what yeah, are you yeah, saying? so what are you saying right now? I'm just saying that... He was not showing any signs by four. It started at five. Four is usually too young to really know that oh, something's okay. going on, well, especially violence. I'm, I guess I'm wrong. She didn't buy him the a the AR when he was four. No, she did no. not. And um, I don't know Connecticut's laws, but I'm fairly certain that most states, you got to be 21 to own a handgun. So yeah, so they be, were registered in her name, right? They were, yeah. You have to be 21 to own any gun in Connecticut. So it was, I mean, it was illegal for him to own these guns and carry them and use them. So Okay, well, that answers that question. Adam's behavior only continued to get worse, and Nancy continued to find increasingly violent drawings and images printed from the internet. Right before his junior year began, Nancy pulled him out of Newtown High after his mentor in the tech club left the school. She believed Newtown High was making no effort to find him another adult to watch over him and keep him safe. He got his GED, and she enrolled him in college, which he attended briefly before deciding not to go back. Most parents only have to worry about finding, like, porn printouts. So this poor lady was probably like, come on, just print some porn or something unless he did do that by 2010 at the age of 18 adam had completely isolated himself he never left the house unless absolutely necessary and spent all of his time on the internet or playing first person shooter games such as call of duty he only interacted with people in chat rooms or on forums where he discussed violent video games weapons and his favorite subject mass killers he'd often browse wikipedia articles on mass shooters and correct any info he found that was incorrect such as which weapons were used. When police raided his home after the shooting, they found a seven-foot-long list of Adam's top 500 mass killers, with some of his favorites being James Holmes and Jared Loeffner, both of who we've covered in previous episodes. Me and Rory used to get really excited over seven-foot-long grocery receipts. Oh, yeah. From the Albertsons by our house? Yeah. Yeah. 
have a picture of Jake shirtless for some reason holding one. I used to like to rock the, the beer gut out in the open. Yeah. And hold my receipts. So I guess my an obsession with like serial murder and things like that isn't all that uncommon. I'm guessing if it just becomes an obsession point for someone with like Asperger, Asperger's, it becomes kind of an issue there. Like you don't want them to be solely focused on things like that. This is the disorder that basically the Rain Man had, right? But on, on specify. Okay, so the, these people are generally savants at certain things, right? So like counting sometimes. cards, sometimes. So I, I thought I read that the Aspergers was like they were able to have an extreme focus on one subject if it was interesting to them. They are, but savant syndrome is a, a different okay. aspect. Yeah, that's when they're extremely talented at one specific thing, like playing the violin or computers or something like that but savant it has its own specific criteria or bankrupting a casino yeah okay after 20 years of constant 24 7 worry over her child nancy began to feel completely hopeless she felt like she tried to do everything available to help adam but there just wasn't enough options or doctors who knew how to help adam at this point never left the house and would play video games for hours and days on end he'd taped black garbage bags over the windows of his rooms and did nothing to take care of himself Nancy cooked, cleaned, and did all of his laundry for him. By 2012, she began to feel the need to start spending time away from Adam. She believed he was the way he was, and there was nothing left for her to do. She began taking trips out of state to visit friends or spas, leaving Adam home alone for days at a time. When she would come home, it was obvious that nothing outside of Adam's rooms had been touched besides trips to the kitchen. She had no idea what he'd likely been planning for months. So was it, like, good for her for doing this, or was it a bad thing that made the situation worse? I don't think it made the situation worse. I think he more than likely had his mind made up at this point, and it was just in like the final stages of planning. But there's really no way to say good for her or she fucked up because there was nothing she could have really done. Well, knowing what we know now, I'm gonna say good for her. I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I did watch this episode of on HBO called "This Was Like Autism Speaks Two, where they go. They had already interviewed these people in the late '90s, and now they were some of them were heading off to college. Some of them were learning how to be verbal with cell phones and new technology, so they could have a voice. And one of the mothers there was just she. She was at a point where she was having a breakdown over. She's going to have to take care of her child for the rest of her life, and it's not the way she. She looked at it when she was younger. It's not what she signed up for. And every once in a while, she does feel that, like, I need to get out of here. I need to escape because my life has become solely dedicated to this. And that's understandable. If she did go through that, I I completely understand at, at that point wanting to try and have a life at a certain point. Yeah, after 20 years when there's no improvement. And at this point, at 20 years old, he's seen enough doctors to know that there's something wrong with him, and at some point he needed to start trying to help himself, which he was not doing. Yeah. So I think a big portion is there's a certain age where parents need to say, okay, I've done this for you for this long, you need to start. I know it's difficult, but you need to at least try. Oh, well, that was one of the things. The same woman, uh, her daughter was living in a group home, and said, I, I can't even believe the difference I've seen in her because the amount of independence she has gained because people aren't just doing things for her. As soon as she figured out that she had to do it for herself or it wasn't going to get done, there was a complete, like, absolute change in, in her daughter. Yeah. And there was, there's some 
places that claim that he also had a personality disorder, which they never specified. But that, on top of the other things, especially if it was something like avoidant personality disorder, where he, like, physically could not cope with being around other people, I mean, that would compound everything even more, so. So the Four Corners consensus is good for her. Eh. Yeah. (laughs) It's Eh. it's the Four four Corners stance is that we get where she's coming from. We don't have enough information to whether to say whether or not we support her actions at that point. Yeah, I don't want to victim blame and I no. don't I don't want to say that she should have done it this way cuz there's no way that yeah. she number 1 could have known or two done anything differently cuz from my understanding she did everything possible for him to get him better and it just never it didn't take take. except arming him to the teeth. Yeah, she did do that. That was a little weird, but that's I I can understand that too. Coming from a a point where you and your son have bonded over this, it's the thing that you have together. I get that. Like, she probably didn't have a lot of bonding with her son in that time, like, where they could actually sit down and enjoy each other's company. You absolutely never would think that your child would do something like this, no matter how many weapons you give them to, especially if you've done everything that she had done to raise them correctly. You wouldn't ever imagine that your kid was capable of something like this. And his brother is fairly well adjusted, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Ryan's I I mean, he's not as well adjusted now. Yeah, I mean that it happens, I get it. Sometime before 9:30 a.m. on December 14th, 2012, Adam pulled out of his driveway wearing cargo pants and a vest carrying hundreds of rounds of ammunition. With him is his Bushmaster XM15 with 10 30-round magazines, a shotgun, a Glock, and his Sig Sauer 9mm. Because he lived close to Sandy Hook Elementary, and there is a semi-large portion of time he is unaccounted for, some claim that his original target was Newtown High School. He may have seen the two police cruisers that were parked in the parking lot that morning and driven away. Either way, he arrived at Sandy Hook at 9.34 a.m. and parked his Honda Civic next to the fire lane, leaving his shotgun inside the car. This likely was in case he either got away, ran out of ammo inside, or chose to engage police. Security measures had been installed at the school, which included a doorbell and a camera that one had to confirm their identity on before being allowed to enter the school. Adam bypassed this by shooting out one of the large plate glass windows next to the door and stepping inside. The woman in the front office, directly in front of where Adam had entered the building, heard the shots and briefly saw him before ducking under their desks for cover. The secretary's phone rang, and in answering it, she accidentally hit the button that turned the intercom on. The entire school heard her as she sobbed and told the person she was on the phone with that there was a man in the school with a gun. Did the, after all this, do they put, like, bulletproof glass in schools now or anything like that? Like, because it just totally bypassed the whole security system just by going through it. Most of them have had bulletproof glass for a while. I know my elementary school did, so... Yeah, I don't know. Dude, it's Arizona. So I remember in middle school when we had to do, when we did active shooter drills, my teacher was assuring us that that door would stop the grenade. He's like, it'll stop a grenade. Grenades aren't that powerful. You can you hear of guys saving people by jumping on them with their, putting their metal helmets over the top of them. They're not that powerful. And I just remember thinking like, yeah, dude, but that door's never locked. Like, I've never once seen anyone lock that door. So in the instance of an active shooter, you're going to walk your ass over there and lock the door? Get blown away by a grenade. Yeah. I think the glass in my school was mostly so kids wouldn't throw rocks through the window. I don't think it was. Interesting. They thought my school was going to get shot up. But anyways, the school's principal, Don Hawksprung, was loved by every student and parent in Sandy Hook. The motto she always instilled in the children was, be kind, it's really all that matters. 
She and the school psychologist, Mary Sherlock, were in the conference room next door to the front office meeting with the student's parents when they heard the shots in the hallway. Both women walked out of the room and were face-to-face with Adam. Dawn lunged at him, attempting to grab the rifle from him, and was shot multiple times, killing her instantly. Adam then fired at and killed Mary Sherlock, hitting another woman in the leg who was able to crawl back into the conference room and lock the door. Down the hallway, Deborah Pisani watched Dawn and Mary be shot as she attempted to lock her door, which locked from the outside. A ricochet bullet hit her in the foot, but she was able to get back into the locked classroom before being noticed. The intercom was still on, and Dawn and Mary's murders were heard through the entire school. By now, almost every room was in lockdown. Adam turned right and went down the hallway containing the first grade classrooms. Caitlin Roig, the first room, had managed to push all 15 of her students into the bathroom along with herself. Adam walked straight past her room, and this is where the timeline is going to get a little muddled. There were two rooms that Adam did enter, which were Victoria Soto and Lauren Rousseau, and there's just some slight discrepancy on which room he entered first. So, we're just going to go off the book's account for this one. Lauren Rousseau was a permanent substitute, so she did not have a key to lock her classroom door. She lined the children up as far from the door as possible and was trying to keep them calm when Adam opened the unlocked door. Lauren was shot in the face as she spun around to face him and was killed instantly. He then opened fire at the back of the room, firing indiscriminately into the crowd of children. He killed special education teacher Rachel Diavino, who was shielding a student with her body. In total, 15 children died. Catherine Hubbard, Anna Marquez Green, James Mattioli, Grace McDonald, Josephine Gay, Noah Posner, Jack Pinto, Chase Kowalski, Madison Sue, Jessica Recos, Daniel Barden, Charlotte Bacon, Benjamin Wheeler, Emily Parker, and Carolyn Previti. Adam then walked down and went back to Victoria Soto's room. He opened the door and quickly looked around before rising his gun and shooting Victoria in the head, killing her instantly. All right, guys, and just for a brief change of pace here, uh, I'm going to read a little bit of the rest of this, give Katie's brain a break for a minute. We're going to hopefully get through this. So Adam then walked out and went back to Victoria Soto's room. He opened the door and quickly looked around before raising his gun and shooting Victoria in the head, killing her instantly. The children scattered, running throughout the room in an attempt to get away. Adam fired, killing Allison Wyatt, Avil Richman, Olivia Angle, and special education teacher Anne-Mary Murphy and Dylan Hockley. After killing them, Adam's Bushmaster jammed and student Jesse Lewis yelled for the students to run. Four managed to get past Adam and out the door, and two hid in the bathroom at the back of the room. As they were running, Adam managed to unjam the rifle and load a new clip, which he used to shoot and kill Jesse Lewis. The rifle jammed again, and he tossed it to the ground in frustration. He went and sat down in a corner, took his Glock out, and shot himself in the head. He had fired 154 bullets in five minutes, leaving 20 students and six teachers dead. During the shooting, the first officer, officers to arrive on the scene were Mark Chapman and Scott Smith. As they prepared to enter the school, the new protocol after Columbine, 10 officers from the SWAT team also arrived. Chris Manfredonia, a father of one of the students who arrived to make gingerbread houses with his daughter, had just barely beaten the police to the scene and had no idea what was going on inside. In just a few seconds, he heard the shooting and began running along the outside wall trying to find his daughter's classroom window to make sure she was okay. As he did this, police pulled up and assumed he was a suspect and began giving him orders. Not knowing if they were truly police, Chris ran into the woods with a group of armed cops close behind. Once they caught up to him, they believed that they had their second shooter in custody, which is where some of the early reports of the two shooters came from. He's probably really lucky that he didn't get shot. Oh yeah. At 9.41, police entered the school. They first saw the bodies of Principal Don, Hawksprung, and Mary Sherlock. 
As they looked up from the scene, they saw custodian Rick Thorne running towards them in sheer panic. Since the beginning of the shooting, Rick had been running through the entire school, warning teachers and students to get to their rooms and lock their doors. He more than likely saved a lot of lives. He was told to wait while the school was cleared and the officers entered Victoria Soto's room. They first found Adam's body, then turned to find the teacher and the children's bodies. Officer Chapman immediately began checking vitals of the children and found a faint pulse on Olivia Engel. He scooped her up into his arms and ran her outside to the paramedics, telling her the entire time, Your parents love you very much, knowing she was going to die. She passed away at the hospital. Next, they entered Lauren Rousseau's room, where they found the entire class dead, except for one child, standing alone, covered in blood. She was rushed rushed out to paramedics, who found no injuries on her. Lauren's room was quickly closed off, and only the most experienced senior EMS and police officers were allowed inside, solely because of how shocking the scene was inside. Any officers that entered the room immediately turned around and collapsed outside the door, sobbing openly in the hallway. It was this room that caused multiple officers to retire. Some critically injured children were taken to the hospital, but passed away not long after arriving. The surviving children were taken to a fire station 400 feet away from the school, where they were reunited with their parents. Eventually, as the last classes and staff had been evacuated and met their loved ones, 26 families began to realize that they were not going to have a tearful reunion. By that evening, their fears were confirmed as the governor asked them to be seated in a private room in the station. When officers finally checked Adam's body, the only identification they found was a license belonging to his brother, Ryan Lanza. Media immediately got a hold of the name and began announcing it over every news source. Shocking the real Ryan Lanza, who happened to see his name scrolling across the television while at work. They also ran the plate on the black Honda Adam had driven to the school, which returned an address belonging to Nancy Lanza. A search warrant was granted, and officers were at the home quickly. When they made entry and called out for anyone inside, they got no response. When they entered Nancy's bedroom, they found her in her pajamas, lying in bed, almost decapitated by the four bullets shot into her head and neck at close range. She had obviously been Adam's first victim. As the home was searched, they slowly discovered the strange lifestyle Adam had been living. His blacked-out windows, seven-foot-long list of mass killers, and violent drawings and photos showed officers a hint of motive. Unfortunately, what likely held Adam's deepest secrets and a legitimate motive for the massacre was a hard drive, which he had shattered into pieces before going on his rampage. Many speculate as to what drove him to kill 20, 6- and 7-year-old children and 7 adults, but we will most likely never know what truly led to Sandy Hook. Is it unique for someone to do this to essentially obliterate all the like? Because usually when this type of stuff happens, like with the Vegas shooter and whatnot, diary or a whole bunch of entries in their computer or a manifesto or something. Yeah, sort. all kind of, like a bunch of stuff, and they want that to be found after they, you know, after their rampage ends or whatever. And it's just kind of weird to see someone actually just destroy all of that. I, I don't know if there actually ever was his motivation was not. For people to know it was to do it, I'm guessing. Yeah, it depends on what type of mass shooter you're talking about. A lot of the times, like, say Virginia Tech, where he left the incredibly long manifesto, they're doing it because they're angry and they want people to know they're angry. I think in his case, he was just angry and he wanted to... Because people on the spectrum don't really have any concept of other people having any emotions. So I think he knew that he was angry, but he didn't really understand the fact that other people needed to know that he felt angry or that other people would understand why he was angry. So he just did it to make himself feel better, not make other people upset at what he did. 
Because he was, in essence, hiding whatever was his reasoning for doing it, really. He might have just been so angry he said, fuck this, and smashed it because it had something. It might have not even been anything involving the shooting. He might have just smashed it, just to smash it. It might have even not even been on the 14th. It might have been a month earlier. He just, we assume, because he had smashed it, that it was involved. The entire town mourned the week after the shooting as 26 funerals took place. They were not allowed to bury their children and loved ones in peace, though, as many sent death threats to the families and churches where the funerals were held. Of course, they were all hoaxes, but police stayed hypervigilant for long after the shooting had ended. Why were they receiving death threats? Copycats. People, some people think this is funny. And also, uh, a lot of the quote-unquote truthers out there, fueled by the Alex Joneses of the world, uh, believed this was a false flag operation those kids really didn't die or that if they did die it was caused by the fault of the government and they needed people to know so um, i think uh noah's father got kind of the worst of it at one point when someone called him and said your son's not really dead this is all a lie you're a fucking liar and then basically hung up on him and that was happening four or five times a day where they just would call these people, send notes to their houses and shit. So a lot of the people moved out and just don't, no one knows where they live now. They, they want to be secluded and alone because there are some fucking whack jobs out there. There was also, I read in the, the really heavily redacted FBI files that they released, that there was someone that created a Facebook with the name Adam Lanza and was posting like he was Adam Lanza and still alive. So they were not sure what to do with that and so they just wanted to be cautious obviously okay well that's fucked up yeah people are fucked up as everyone knows the topic of gun control and gun safety was all the country talked about long after sandy hook some of the families of murdered children formed to become a driving force in the political community but nothing came of their loss as every gun reform bill failed sandy hook promise also produced multiple ads in the hopes of helping students teachers and parents know what to recognize when it comes to school shooters all in all, we as a country debated passionately for months and some years after the massacre, but it has now been forgotten. Newtown has gone back to being a quiet, quaint town as it was before, but will be forever. Newtown has gone back to being the quiet, quaint town it was, but will forever have a dark shadow lingering over it. They, as we as a nation should, will forever remember the names of the 20 children and 6 adults that lost their lives on December 14th, 2012. Oh, big ol' fuck you to this guy. And fuck this guy. a lot of people that came out of the woodwork afterwards. Uh, damn, Katie, that was rough. Yeah, I did not have fun with this one, but... Well, great job putting it together, though. Yeah, that was that was really good, Katie, but holy shit. That sucks that you have that bounced around in your brain. Oh, yeah, I've got 45 weeks of people doing terrible things in yeah. my brain. And so do our listeners. And so I, I wanted to take over the, the next part real quick where we talk about some of the fallout and the aftermath in the conspiracy community. It's really outrageous, but there were a lot of people out there that believe Sandy Hook was just a hoax for whatever subgroup of the government, whether it be Democrats or the Illuminati or whoever, used it as an excuse to subdue the population and steal their Second Amendment rights. Um, and this is with every school shooting that we've seen. Yeah, anytime a gun, gun is involved in violent crime, it's basically these people come out of the woodwork and say, oh, this is bullshit. So, I mean, they do, they, they're doing the same thing right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's with they're doing it with a pandemic, too. That's so, what I'm saying. Yeah, they're yeah. doing exactly the same thing. 
But uh, I'm going to go ahead and kick this one off real quick for you. Um, this section is actually called Conspiracy Theories Without Mel Gibson. And are you going to... I figured you could give us the conspiracy theory and I'd tell you why it's... Yeah, I actually, bullshit. I think I have the, a couple listed out. Okay. And then we can go through and we can talk about them. The last one's my least favorite, but it's the most, I would say, entertaining. Anyway, so uh, false flag operations are a real... There are a few famous operations uh, that were backed by the United States in order to instill fear among a populace, to skirt around civil liberties, or to overthrow a duly elected official, or to consolidate control of a government agency. Now, false flag ap- operations have actually happened in the world. They they are admitted to, like King Gustav of Sweden or Norway or whatever it was, wanted to open up a fight with Russia, so he attacked his own naval base or some shit like that. That like these things do happen. Uh, we funded Iranian, or we we funded a false flag operation of Iranian communists bombing Muslim mosques over in Iran. It was either it was some, either Iran or Turkey, one of those two, or some shit like that. And CIA has gone on record saying that yeah, we did do this, but there has to be some sort of real outcome. Um, it has to have a definitive outcome to actually be considered a false flag operation. Now, since there was no real outcome and their plot didn't, you know, quote-unquote work here, I don't think this could be actually be considered a false flag operation. It would be... It, it's below what I believe our government is capable of. So you're saying it's just too small for them? I'm, I'm saying, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't on a whole grant them the power that they're looking for, but... Like, there there's was... not enough leverage in yeah. the situation to get with to make a major difference for them. Exactly. Like you said, too, there was basically no outcome from this. I mean, there was, I think, maybe four or five states that did slightly tighten up their gun laws, but there was also, like, eight states, Arizona being one of them, that loosened their gun laws after this. And they were like, yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah, you should have a gun. People with guns would have stopped this, but a false flag operation needs to have a definitive outcome. Shortly after Sandy Hook, Connecticut did tighten up gun restrictions. They banned a number of ARs and they made it harder for mentally ill people to get a gun. But that, that's kind of where the conspiracies for Sandy Hook really took hold in people was they could see a small outcome over this. So it basically was confirmation for them. Five days after Sandy Hook, uh, Alex, actually it was only three days after Sandy Hook, Alex Jones drops a, a false flag narrative where that would allow the government to take the guns of Connecticut citizens. He goes further to make wild assumptions about the shooter, calling him a goth video game Prozac head. Alex Jones is literally just an extra doughy James Gandolfini who's real fucking obnoxious. He's so a garbage person. He doesn't have any room to talk shit about what he thinks about someone else. Does exactly. the goth video game Prozac head come from Columbine? Does he think everything is Columbine, even though he doesn't know the truth about Columbine either? Yeah, basically. I mean, he he blames this without really knowing anything about the kid at first. Without Lanza, he basically is making this large range assumption of what is happening there. And he says that the only time that things are not a false flag is when you have these one-off shooters like this guy. But this one is obviously created narrative for the people to see. And so he... Did he say he was wearing a trench coat? No, but he, he rants and raves on all sorts of shit. But Alex Jones claims that he did not come up with these ideas himself, but he definitely put it into the heads of every fucking dimwit that believes his rants. And Which is a lot of people. I know. It's fucking crazy. But it turns a segment of the population into what he calls truthers or anyone that's basically searching for a large reason for the deaths of 27 people. 
people don't like to face reality. So they really like to build ideas in their head that fit their own worldviews. When they can go ahead and disregard the simplest answer, it makes it that much easier to think that this giant evil entity is responsible for bad things instead of actually looking at humans and seeing that human nature would allow for this to happen. It allows them to hold up beliefs or characteristics that is important to the understanding of the way they, their world works. They, they don't really have that people are bad thing in their head. They're like, oh, there's a bad entity out there that's making people worse. Um, it allows them to remove the human aspect from the narrative and absolutely destroy or emotionally cripple anyone who doesn't agree or have may have been affected. Like these people are the people that called the Noah's parents and probably numerous other people. So have they have no way to cope with their own sadness? Yeah. And so they have to blame the government because they're upset? Yeah. And I mean, that's fueled by these people um, in the world that are considered experts such as Alex Jones in the way these things work. So they default to someone else's expertise. Meanwhile, that person's a fucking idiot. Did you know that last month the FDA had to warn Alex Jones to stop promoting things like his toothpaste and his mouthwash on his website where he was promoting it as a cure for coronavirus? Yeah, he's a He's a, he's a dirt person. He's an absolute <laughs> fucking turd in the American punch bowl. Literal piece of shit. Fuck that guy. But there there isn't actually a universal narrative for the Sandy Hook tragedy, uh, but rather a few that are widely known. Now, when I say narrative, I, I do mean conspiracy narrative. We have the official what happened in there, basically, but these people don't believe it. So we're going to go run through a few of the more well-known conspiracies related to Sandy Hook. Um, first, we're going to examine the crisis actors narrative for Sandy Hook, where the people are using an assumption from a website that crisis actors are hired out to do all of these false flag narratives. But first, we're going to go ahead and talk about everything where it starts. And it starts with a man named James Tracy, a professor of communications for Florida Atlantic University. Six days after the shooting in a series of blog posts, Tracy claims to have, start exa to have started examining the inconsistencies in the official narrative for the Sandy Hook shooting using interviews from people on the scene and news releases that don't match up. Tracy heavily uses a website that hires out actors to provide real-world situations and crises for the government to develop tactics for given situations. I know if you, if you watch Parks and Rec, you've seen that emergency preparedness czar show up. That's basically what these people do, is they're just actors for situations like that. They make it more believable. They do SWAT takedowns in malls, public places, and things like that. And this really exists, or this is a yeah. theory? No, this really exists. Like, these things actually do exist. Oh, one of the girls I grew up with, Cece, she does this shit all the time. Her her dad is a like police officer trainer, and he she goes out and pretends to be a hostage or a victim or things like that all the time. That used to be her job. Like, you know the people that wear the, the bite suits for dogs? Mm -hmm. It's like a bunch of those people just pretending to be criminals or be hostages. Or be hurt. Any, any number of those things depends on what your training is so. any sort of crisis that could happen and people need to be have at least some experience whether fake or not like the mini muster i don't know what that is oh that's when you're a kid and the fire department comes to the park and they let you do all the fire training no it's not like that because the firefighters would actually be going in and trying to rescue doing you. the training like you're you're just there acting the oh. firefighters are going in, and you have to make the situation believable as to what they would encounter in real life. It's they, a fire sale. They do it a lot for like nurses in training and EMTs and stuff too. They'll basically have you like lay out 
pretend to be injured and list your symptoms, and yeah. they have to go through and triage you and tell oh, yeah, who that. to take first to the hospital, so on and so forth. I saw that on Shameless. Yeah. So Tracy states, if an agency like this exists that almost guarantees realism, is it that far out of the realm of possibility to think that this could be staged? He's referring to a, a website that was like called crisisactors.org or some shit like that. And Something that's like useful and real, and he's yeah. just taking it as, oh, these people are for, for fake crises. Yeah, this is obviously a real thing, because why else would we have this website is basically what he's saying. Because <laughs> nobody except for official people can make websites. Yeah. So a little over a week later, Tracy posts a blog that grabs the attention of none other than InfoWars' own Alex Jones. In this post, Tracy full-on claims that the families of the victims are nothing but paid shills by some organization, be it the government or Illuminati. Alex Jones uses this professor claims uses this professor's claims to be 100% true and espouses his posts as fact, further pushing more idiots into believing that there is an actual evidence for his theories. The next one that we're going to run through is actually called, they call it the Memorial Timestamp Theory. A few hours after the tragedy, individuals and groups posted a memorial website for the victims of Sandy Hook, and when pulled up on aggregate websites like Google, some of the websites showed that timestamps supposedly before the tragedy even happened. We literally forgot that time zones exist? Yeah, so that, that was that. One of the things was that people were pointing this out, but they forgot that there was another time zone. So when someone on the East Coast posted something, it was an hour later or an hour earlier. So when they got the news, someone on the West Coast started a fun website from a Facebook account that already existed and saw that there was a post made from, you know, 45 minutes before, or an hour, two hours before the quote unquote shooting uh -huh. happened. And this is real thing because. So they know, just couldn't understand the way it worked. Yeah, they don't understand timestamps at all because. And they don't understand once again that anyone can make a website. Yeah, that's and that's the stupid shit, stupidest shit I've ever heard because most of the time, while these people were watching the tragedy unfold, they went and they already had certain parts of a website made or they already had a Facebook account that they could easily switch over. And that's the simple answer that everybody ignored. Website pages, <laughs> URLs can all be repurposed by the owner. It's always the easiest one that people ignore. Yeah, and, and the timestamp won't change because those pages would have been set up before the tragedy and used because it is more simple to do that than to start a completely new website link and more time efficient. So if you already have a website set up, you already have uh, a Facebook set up, why not just change it to suit the purpose that you have rather than make a whole new one, which could take an hour or two? It's just like if we were to start a new podcast and we would still tell you all to go to fourcornerscrimecast.com because we don't want to make another exactly. web page. Exactly. And to touch on the, the news sources reporting different information, that's going to happen when Every you have time. breaking news that's coming strictly out of the building by 10 people on the SWAT team. They're all going to hear different shit. Yeah. And you're going to hear shit wrong. So you're going to post it and then you're going to go back and say, sorry, we were wrong. How many different reports did we get of how many people were in Kobe Bryant's helicopter? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And not knowing who the shooter was also did not help in saying that it was Ryan Lanza, it was Ryan Lanza, and then being like, sorry, no, it was Adam. Everyone was like, Ryan's like, how do you fuck that up? I didn't do yeah. it. Yeah. So. All right. This last one is actually, it's possibly the worst conspiracy, but it's uh, considered a blood sacrifice before the solstice. Now, I'm going to attempt to get it straight, but since it's stupid and needlessly confusing, I'm going to just go give you the gist you can fill in the rest later if you want to look it up if you want to be dumber as a human being go ahead and look it up 
But the Illuminati, who work in ritual and magic to hold the power, occasionally set up sacrifices of the underclass to complete their rituals of power. The global cabal needs a docile population in order to remain in power. Therefore, the easiest way to restrict the rights of a free society is to slowly decripple their ability to defend themselves. Oklahoma City, 9-11, Sandy Hook, and most mass shootings in general or mass casualties in America are used to restrict or impede the rights of free citizens to bear arms and defend themselves against organizations like the Illuminati. Sandy Hook happened just before the winter solstice in order to usher in the new age for the Illuminati to gain more power over the world leaders or to sow discord among the factions in America. Blood is required before each of these rituals can come to fruition, and Adam Lanza was a victim of neuro-linguistic programming and placed under the thumb of the Illuminati to usher forth their demand for sacrifice. That's a pretty bad conspiracy theory. It's so fucking dumb. There's like literally the proof that they write. It's, it's one of those websites where red writing, black background with a picture of weapons on the side and ads for some other like. Infowars. No, like penis enlargement pills and oh. like porn sites and shit. So it, it's. I have friends on my Facebook who probably believe this shit. Oh, too. yeah. It's no, like, it's. It's insane. And uh, so that that's really it for the three main ones. But I'm going to go ahead and label the next section as Rory hates Alex Jones. Should say everybody. Everybody hates Alex Jones. Everybody hates Alex Jones. Do Fuck you- Alex Jones. Puta pendejo. Um, I had to listen to six or seven hours of Infowars on this subject, and I'm so happy his ass got sued. He's an instigator, piece of shit, fat fuck moron turd person. He, I read his deposition. He never answered a single fucking question. The prosecutor or the attorney that was running the deposition literally went through and watched countless hours of Infowars and picked out and edited together a bunch of sequences of him saying things that he was being sued for. He was being sued for, basically telling people, this is a lie. These people are liars. This is a hoax. You can't believe this. All the way up to 2017, he was saying this shit. He got sued in 2018, 2019? 2019. Yeah, so all the way up to 2017, he was still using these same arguments and doing this. So the prosecuting attorney basically says, I need you to play this clip, this clip, this clip. And he asks Mr. Jones, now, did you say that? <laughs> and he's like, well... I can't really be too sure, since I was heavily edited and edited poorly, um, I can't say. And it's like, you didn't just see yourself saying these things. Well, I don't know the context, really. I don't know the context. He should have just been like, I'm Bill Hicks. Yeah, it's. I, I was so, so upset. Um, Did you read about that conspiracy? No. There's a conspiracy theory that uh, Alex Jones is actually Bill Hicks, who was a Texas comedian who yeah, died I know in '94. Yeah, I know Bill Hicks, but yeah. Do you I want me to read? That. It's a I, good one. I screenshotted one of the pages from the deposition that I thought was funny. Yeah, let's read it. Okay, so the question was, and it was then when you saw that that you started covering it and started commenting on Sandy Hook. There was an objection, and then Alex Jones says, no, I started commenting on Sandy Hook that they would use it to go after our guns and that the media always hyped up school shootings and was causing copycat events, that the mainstream media were basically psychic vampires promoting mass shootings so they could blame gun owners and try to take the Second Amendment away, which they pushed to repeal the Second Amendment. So for the first month or so, and again, this was almost seven years ago, but we've gone back and looked at some of it on trying to find at least three weeks, four weeks or so, and then it was such a firestorm on the internet, 
It's like, no, this isn't Prozac, this isn't video games, like I was saying, I thought, like the other shootings that happened. This was, you know, some type of stage event, or multiple shooters, or people in the woods, things like that. He said so, that three days after. Sandy I don't Bush. even know he said what that he three was days. saying. And then he started asking questions. He would be like, can you, can you define this word? And the yeah. lawyer kept having to say, I'm not answering questions, you're answering my questions. Oh, yeah. I think his, the lawyer that was like going through a deposition with him was named like Bankston. And uh, Alex Jones had two attorneys there. And he kept having to tell one of them to shut the fuck up. The judge did. Yeah, the judge did. The judge kept telling this one dude to shut the fuck up. He's like, I'm not going to be sitting here listening to you two against me. So you're going to shut up for the rest of the time you're here. And you're going to play his defense. And <laughs> every time like there was an object- objection, the attorney would start would say, like, objection, form, blah, 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 blah. And the judge had to say, shut up, just object to form, and that's it. Like, yeah, you cause... don't need an explanation. This is not a courtroom. This is his deposition, and I am here running this shit. Every time they said Sandy Hook, because he didn't specify, he didn't say the Sandy Hook shooting, so he would object to form, because he didn't like that he was only saying Sandy Hook, and they didn't know what they were referring to. Wow. It was... I have trouble sleeping constantly, but every time I read some of this deposition, I fell asleep immediately. Put right to sleep? Immediately fell asleep. So, I don't know. I've read almost the whole fucking thing. And Alex Jones is a character. He's a shitty character played by an asshole who believes he can do no wrong and everything that he believes is correct and right. And he espouses it as fact instead of actually stating, my opinion is on this. And there are a lot of people out there who glom on to things like that and sort of use it as a way to form their own ideals and shit like that, and which I find incredibly damaging to society because if you can believe someone like Alex Jones who can't say a fucking true, correct, or incorrect answer or response to a question, I don't know how you live. I don't know how you live. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, how can you have any faith in this guy? Well, so many people are just literally looking for a reason to have like to have a conspiracy or to be upset or to make it into something more than it is and it's honestly just like their need to be right about something i think and a lot of these are kids who are just forming their opinions and then they have all this bullshit spewed and they're like well this guy's confident he has a website he makes money off this so why should i not believe him exactly because so. he's a fucking piece of shit. That's why. Yeah. yeah. Well, he lost. Uh, got sued for $100,000. He lost. He had to admit that Sandy Hook was not a hoax and that he was just playing a character. And InfoWars even came out and said, oh, my, my actually, my favorite part of this whole thing is that he lost is his show. when Yeah. Well, when the prosecuting guy or whatever, the, the attorney for... Well, whoever was asking him questions literally asked him, like, hey, do you actually believe this? <laughs> and he had to say, well, it's under this, 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 and this. And the guy's like, no, do you actually believe this? Tell me if you believe this. That's the question I asked. Are you an idiot? And the guy was like, well, it's obviously, kids obviously had to admit that it, he didn't believe that it was a hoax on air. And he called him out on not doing research because he said, you claim right here that you did all this research, you looked into it. 
what research did you do? Did you read this report? Hands him the quick report. Google search doesn't count. Well, yeah, he handed him the official report and said, "Have you read this?" And he was like, "Well, no, no, I haven't. I skimmed it." I'm like, "So <laughs> he's like, so what research did you or Infowars do on this?" Well, we left it to the professionals of these professionals, blah blah. blah. But you didn't actually read the official report, and yet you espoused shit that is answered in that report as false. Is that correct? And he's like, "Well, no, that didn't happen." And he's like, "Play this clip for me." And it's him doing just exactly that, like saying that he's done hours and hours of research. And he's like, so in your hours and hours of research, you never once came across the document that was officially released a year after Sandy Hook stating what happened in it. And he was like, well, no, I guess not. And so when you say that there were no EMS there, here's the report with the EMS. I'm going to make you read that last line there out loud. And he makes him read the fucking report. It's amazing. Like, I was so on this attorney's side. Or judge, whoever it was. But it was amazing. This is not fake in any way, and 27 people died. And anytime a major event like this happens, the FBI and the government is going to release their reports for you to read to prove that it was real and to give you some answers. So That's just to to hide the Illuminati's true um, agenda. Do they have one? At this point, they don't even have an agenda. What are they trying to do? Take down Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> like that's my thing is it's always like this is for the illuminati because they do it. and it's like what are they doing though like realistically what are they doing this to accomplish nothing they never accomplish anything they're running so, an international banking cartel they're bringing tupac back <laughs> but like okay so you run you run a bank okay and you bring tupac back what are you doing with the trillions of dollars of debt that we're in well, that's where they're making their money. They're not in trillions of dollars of debt. They're stealing that money. They're the ones that get that money. But anyway, like money's not real, though. That's the thing. <laughs> it's like all comes back to that trillions of dollars is not real money. Like, just that doesn't exist. That's just us saying that we owe, owe people money and we're never going to pay it. It doesn't. Exactly. Just like Hologram Tupac. So do we want to wrap this up? Yeah. Wrap fuck, it. Fuck you, Alex Jones. And fuck you, Alex Fuck Jones. you, Adam Lanza. Yeah, yeah fuck, fuck him, too. Fuck that guy. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot of people that should get fucked in this situation, I'm going to go ahead and say, and none of them are the victims. Yeah, Adam Lanza fucked himself. Um, yeah. Alex Jones has yet to shoot himself in the head, so maybe it, one day. It could be Fingers crossed. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening, guys. Once again, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R, cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Four Corners Crimecast, on Instagram at Four Corners Crimecast, and on Twitter at Four Corners Crime. And give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. That's F-O-U-R, cornerscrimecast.com. Head over there for a full episode list, or if you have any ideas for an episode you'd like to hear, send us that. Or you can get your free sticker from our merch store just by entering the code BINGOBANGO at checkout. We will ship it out to you 100% for free. So this week, just remember, if you hear Alex Jones say anything, ignore it. And I'm going to, I have a friend that's drawing up like a little sketch of the school and the path that he walked and where the children basically were. So if it helps you follow along, it'll be on Facebook and Instagram. And fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck this guy. Well, we'll see you next week, guys. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers.